this may contain spoilers. and welcome to episode 4 of Entertainment of Excellence, a podcast where we review films, TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie or at Skillloser123 on Twitter. Um, hello, I'm Ben or at RIP David Bear on Twitter. We've changed the opening and we'll soon be changing the website because we're no longer a new podcast. We've been going strong for a few episodes. Yeah. And we've got some listeners. Predominantly from our families, but still. Uh, so today we've got quite a special episode that's inspired by the Oscars which was recently held. We're going to start off reviewing Psychoville for about 10 minutes. It won't be as long as it was last week with Black Panther. And then we're each going to recommend something. And then finally we're going to do our own award show inspired by the Oscars where we give out 15 awards each about our favourite film, our favourite TV show and the kind of a few funny ones in there as well. Yeah, but the differences will be restricting ours to 2017 and hope to have another one of these for 2018 in the near future. Yeah, so we can't just do films that we've watched in 2017, we have to come out in 2017. And for a few categories I wanted to put Black Panther, but obviously that came out early this year, so unfortunately that won't be nominated for anything. I'm sure it will be nominated for the 2018 awards, but <laughs> you're either going to be really happy or really fed up at the the last two episodes being special ones, but we'll return to normal yeah. from episode five onwards, and we'll probably be having Tom on again. Yeah, I think we're just keen to experiment so many different things, seeing as it's kind of a new podcast, so we've got so much to get across that every episode's going to be different. And since we didn't get time to recommend anything last week, we're going to make sure we do that this week and forgo watching trailers. Yeah, so we won't be watching any trailers this week. Our last segment's going to be a new one. It's called Beyond the Screen, which is basically we've gathered up a few questions from our listeners and we're just going to answer them on air, so that'll be quite exciting. As we grow a larger fan base, hopefully you can give us some questions and we can answer those on the podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us via the contact form on our site or you can just email entertainmentofexcellence at gmail.com. Or reply to one of our tweets saying yeah. something and we'll probably see it and answer it in the next episode. We're fairly active on our Twitter, so yeah. yeah. So shall we move on to Psychoville? Psychoville, yes. That's what we're going to be reviewing this week. Um, so what did you think of this? I thought it was a very interesting show. I say interesting a lot because that's the first adjective that comes to mind when describing <laughs> things. But we saw the first few episodes last week. The episodes are about half an hour each and they all end on a cliffhanger so it's very easy to slip into binge watching it and then realise... Oh, no, two hours have gone by, three hours have gone by. Yeah, that I fell into that trap. In series one, there's seven episodes, then there's a Halloween special, and then there's six episodes in series two. I've seen all of it by now. How much have you seen? I've seen up to episode five. Yeah. I'd definitely say that the first series is a lot stronger than the second. Well, let's talk about the characters, because they kind of bring the whole thing together. There's five 
sets of people and they're all linked even though you wouldn't assume it but they're all linked back to this one hospital they were at um and you start to find out more throughout the season of why they were there and what they did there and actually who was in charge of the hospital so the characters we've got mr jelly (laughs) he's my favorite yeah so basically mr jelly he was a clown and he was really popular but then he had problems with his hand so he got it operated on. But as he was recovering with this doctor, this doctor started to pick up some of the tricks. And eventually he went into the clown industry and he became much more popular than Mr. Jelly. He was called Mr. Jolly. And they keep on getting confused. He's one of the funniest characters, I'd say. Yeah, I certainly like the tension between Mr. Jelly and Mr. Jolly because at the start, you get confused as to which is which because it's only one character of the alphabet differentiating them but they are very different characters you know mr jelly being a middle-aged depressed clown with one hand who um as the catchphrase keeps kids quiet um and then there's mr jolly who obviously used to be his doctor and you find out more about them throughout the series and how they go back yeah mr jelly i'm not sure if you know this yet he wasn't at the raven hill hospital it was actually mr jolly Mm -hmm. And he's actually got a relationship with one of the people that was there. I won't spoil it for you, but... So he just kind of got mixed in because his name keeps on getting confused with Mr. Jolly's. Mm. And the next characters are David and his mum. He's obsessed with serial killers. And he pretends to his mum that he's done this bad murder, which he actually hasn't. It was kind of just a murder night prank. And he has to go round and kill everyone that were eyewitnesses. And it's really funny seeing the murders that he does and how he's obsessed with these serial killers, even though him and his mum are becoming two of them themselves. Yeah, and they are very funny characters in the fact that they're just clueless about everything. They are good at murdering, but their casual demeanour throughout the series just makes it hilarious. And because they're so oblivious, they have a lot of similarities between Andy and Lou from Little Britain. And you can draw a lot of similarities there, and it's interesting to look at the parallels between. I'd actually say this has a lot of similarities with Little Britain. It's by the same people as League of Gentlemen, which I'll be talking about later, actually. And both Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton play the majority of the characters. They kind of play multiple roles. For instance, both of them play David and his mum, and they play other characters as well. They don't play as many as they do in League of Gentlemen. However, in League of Gentlemen, there's also Mark Gatiss, but he only makes a cameo in this. He's not a recurring character. However, the cameo he does make is in my favourite episode, which is Series 1, Episode 4. Do you remember this episode? Yeah. I loved this one. It was all one sketch about a detective who's actually an actor, and it was kind of... They were trying to hide a murder. This is definitely my yeah. favourite episode. There's been nothing kind of like this in comedy before. Most of the episodes, especially during the start of the first season, are, like Dirt Gently, seemingly unrelated characters with their own problems and each of them's funny in their own right. And they start to come close together and you can see where they all came from in the hospital and work out more about that throughout the series. But episode four, the, it's just one continuous sketch, and that's very interesting. Yeah. The next character's called Joy, and she's interesting, to say the least. I do use the adjective interesting a lot, I need to stop that. 
Um, but she's odd. She has this doll baby. She basically works at a hospital where they're preparing mums for birth and they're like teaching the parents about babies and they have little dolls which they you know they demonstrate water births with yeah. and things along those lines the problem is she has one who she's called freddy and <laughs> she is obsessed with thinking that it's alive yeah and goes to the extent to having a <laughs> blood transfusion and changing it with yeah like, ribena or something it's- it's quite creepy that relationship, and her husband is very disturbed by mm. her doll and how she acts with Freddy as if it's a real baby. I think it was the thing that either she couldn't have a baby or she had one that died or something. So she was so desperate for a baby, and when she was sent to the hospital, the Ravenhill Hospital, that she actually developed this doll to be her child almost. Mm, and there's been numerous occasions where. Someone's tried to take Freddy away from her. And, like, when they're packing the dolls away, and they're just like, oh, I'll take of them. No, get off my Freddy! <laughs> yeah, it's really weird, that. The next character's called Mr. Lomax, and it starts off the season with it looks like he's really creepy and really dangerous, but he's really funny as soon as you work out what his obsession is. He's yeah. got a mansion and he's got one room in it which he's just devoted to collecting different types of soft toy yeah and his collection's pretty much complete but there's one toy he hasn't got and it's called snappy the crocodile yeah and he has this assistant because he's blind but you find out it's not that he's just blind he hasn't got any eyes he sold them to these sisters but he has this person that helps him who he calls tea leaf he's actually called michael and it's quite funny, that relationship, because although you think he's creepy at the start, Mr. Lomax, he's not that strange. I wouldn't say he's as strange as someone like Joy. He's just desperate for that one crocodile, which is quite a funny quest to see him trying to hunt that down. There's a, quite an intense scene at the end of episode two, I believe, where they're on an eBay auction, and it starts off with things like, you know, 1p, 2p... And then, once the sisters find out, it goes up to £5, £10, £2,000, yeah. and then they cancel the auction at the end. Yeah, you see the people that were selling it, they suddenly realise how much they could get for it, and they quickly get rid of it from eBay. And the last character's called Robert, and he's quite small, which is maybe a bit of an understatement. It's hard to keep being politically correct otherwise. And he's playing one of the seven dwarfs in this production of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They obviously play on the fact that there's multiple dwarves um, who are actually played by people of that height. Yeah. And at the start of season one, he has this crush on the woman who's playing Snow White. Debbie, yeah. Um, But it turns out he's done some sketchy things in the past. But you actually think that he has these powers, a bit like the Force, but then as it progresses... You actually found out that another one of the dwarfs, Kerry, has the powers and is trying to protect him. For instance, there's a bit where they slam the door on Snow White, Debbie, and she wakes up with this memory problem, and Robert tries to convince her that they were in a relationship before, and she falls for it, obviously. And that's kind of interesting, seeing that Kerry was trying to protect Robert, and Robert thought that he had these powers, even though it was actually her that 
had them. And I've seen series two, but overall I would say that the first series is a lot better than this one. And although it's still good, I definitely enjoyed the first seven episodes a lot more. And I think it has got a really good plot for a comedy. It's not just like other sketch shows where it's just trying to be too funny instead of having a serious message. But this actually has a story. And I think that's one of the problems with series two. It kind of becomes too obsessed with the story and forgets about the comedy aspects that are so prominent in series one. But as a whole, I really enjoyed the series and I love it. I thought it was a very well done series. Obviously, I've only seen the first five episodes, so I can't rate it the most accurately. But judging on what I've seen, it does balance comedy, action and obviously moving the storyline along very very well it does have very very funny moments it does have very very tense moments and it has moments which are both they're tense because they're funny um like the ebay auction yeah comparing it to a similar show like dirt gently i don't feel the plot is moving on as fast as it could be i mean i might be back slightly biased and it might move on more after episode five but i think the slow movement of it kind of brings it down for me so overall i'd still rate it quite good but i'd give it a 7.5 um yeah i'd probably agree i'm gonna give it a 7.5 as well so overall 7.5 lowest so far but that's still very good going by our ratings given we've not given anything a one yeah i don't think we've rated anything that's actually bad yet by our standards so that's probably to come in the future most from now on will be watching most films or most major films that come out in the cinema yeah and also things that have come out and we've watched in the past and we're going to purposely watch a couple of bad films in the near future say the next five episodes so you can enjoy some lower reviews coming your way so the series i'd like to recommend is rated ridiculously high on imdb it's an 8.9 on average um, and it's called Black Mirror, which most people have heard of. Mm, I don't know the proportion of people who've actually watched. It's a 15 and it's on Netflix, and it's a series of non-related sci-fi short films, basically, um, lasting about an hour each. Whilst the first episode might be a bit off-putting, to put it... It focuses mainly on the Prime Minister and what he's going to do if this princess has been kidnapped. If he doesn't do some certain tasks, then she's not going to be returned. Uh, But most of them are set in a sort of future, futuristic world and like your stereotypical sci-fis. And the first episode, yeah, that's really bad in terms of it's not science fiction at all. You could imagine it happening nowadays really but i think episode two was good episode three was all right and then four onwards are really good and episode three has jodie whittaker in it which was like one of the reasons i wanted to watch it because i wanted to see her in some other things and see how good she's gonna be as the doctor basically it's not like most tv series in that you know if you give a spoiler away it ruins the whole series because each plot is individual and lasts for an hour. It's very individual and it's unique in its adaptation of the scripts and is a very, very good series. Yeah, I've only seen the first episode of this 
I didn't really enjoy it, but I'm sure they rapidly increased because I kind of like all the sci-fi, although the first one was a bit off-putting and wasn't the most pleasant thing to watch. So the series I'm going to be recommending this week is very similar to Psychoville, seeing as it's by the same people, Steve Pemberton and Ray Shearsmith, and that's League of Gentlemen. Now, it came out before Psychoville, and this also has Mark Gatiss, who plays a lot of the roles as well, as well as Jeremy Dyson, who helped write it, and he plays a few characters, but not as much as the main three, who pretty much play the majority of them between the three. I really love this show. I rated it very high. It's an 8.4 on IMDb, and it's kind of like Psychoville. It's a mixture between comedy and horror, and, well, I'll just start off by saying a few characters that I really like. Some of the most popular characters include Tubbs and Edwards from the local shop for local people, who are obsessed with keeping their shop just the people that live nearby, and they've got kind of loads of things that they don't even want to sell. Then there's Uncle Harvey and Auntie Val, who live in this house where their nephew Benjamin comes to stay. Uncle Harvey, he's obsessed with keeping everything neat and he loves toads, which is a bit of a weird obsession. Then there's transgender taxi driver Barbara, which is kind of a funny character. She's not in it much, but they keep on coming back to this character to tie in scenes. And then my personal favourite, Papa Lazaro. He's really weird and he's kind of this figure that paints his face black and wears a wig and he captures wives and has this famous quote, you're my wife now. He's probably my favourite character, he's really funny. Like Psychoville, it's kind of horror and comedy, but the only criticism I have with this and Psychoville, I prefer having a laughing track because it kind of adds to the atmosphere, whereas the later seasons of this doesn't and neither does Psychoville. But overall, which one do I prefer, Psychoville or this? Well, it's kind of like comparing Come Fly With Me and Little Britain. Although in that scenario, I do probably prefer Come Fly With Me. However, with this, I'd say I just prefer League of Gentlemen, seeing as it is kind of the original that set off Psychoville. So overall, yeah, I'd definitely recommend you going to see this. So, now we've finished with the main topic, we would usually be going on to do a quiz and watch some trailers. However, as we've previously mentioned, we're now going to make way for our own little awards show called Entertainment Worthy of Excellence. So sit back, relax, and listen to our opinions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the annual Entertainment of Excellence award show. Entertainment Worthy of Excellence. So, um, as we've said, this is inspired by the Oscars. Uh, we've got 15 awards, which we'll kind of say as we go along, and then we've each got our picks written down. So we've got a maximum of 30 seconds. We're going to have a timer going. Uh, our finale is going to be best film. And before we start, I'll actually say the winner of the best picture at the Oscars was The Shape of Water. I'd be quite interested to watch just to see why it won best picture. Would you want to see that? Definitely. Now, our first award is Best Male Performance. Do you want to go first? Indeed. Three, two, one, go. Um, I think the best male performance was John Sim as the master in Series 10 of Doctor Who. He only appeared in one episode, 
um, Yeti absolutely killed the role as he did back, way back in 2007 and I think it's quite good to have him back after 10 years of being the master. Uh, he brings a unique perspective to the role and plays a very very good villain. Unfortunately I don't think he'll be returning but he was... Oh, good pick. Good timing. Now, my best male performance of the year is... Oh. Hugh Jackman in Logan. I felt this is a really strong performance and definitely his best performance yet. I think there's been 10 uh, X-Men films so far and I've really enjoyed him in all of them, kind of as a unique perspective of Logan. When he was cast for the role, no one really thought that he was going to be that good, but I think this is his best acting performance of any of the X-Men films. I think that Patrick Stewart was good as Professor X as well, but overall I'd say Hugh Jackman is the best performance of the year. Whoa, cutting it fine there, but yes. Okay, our next award is the best female performance. So, Ollie, you're about to go first. Get ready, set. Go. My nomination for best female performance of the year is Pearl Mackey in Doctor Who. I really enjoyed her casting and acting as Bill as a new character. Uh, Bill, I don't think will re be returning, and I was a bit sceptical about her, but I felt she was really good. Um, obviously, she had strong themes because she was gay and black and female, and I'd say she's definitely one of my favourite uh, companions of all time. Okay. So, who have you got for best female performance? I got John's wife Mary in Sherlock. She was, uh, her role was expanded on series three, but yet it was season four that was broadcast at the start of 2017. She brought a very interesting perspective to the role as um, modern day Mary and she was also a secret agent and you have the different the balance between that and being an ordinary wife at the start of the series the first episode of the series. Grooving. I meant I meant the like throughout the series. It's hard. Yeah. So our next category is a bit of a funny one. It's worst performance. So Ben, who have you got for the worst performance of twenty seventeen? Go. Okay, my worst performance was John Cena! Roger in Daddy's Home 2. This was a terrible casting choice, <laughs> as a wrestler's, as wrestlers never made good actors, as seen with The Rock as well. He couldn't play the role at all, he brought no emotion to the character, and just seemed really awkward and out of place as the character. Not only was the film confusing, but it was just more confusing when you added this guy in halfway. So that's a good pick. Now mine is And his name is also John Cena in Daddy's Home 2. I promise we didn't look at each other's answers before this, so this was completely um a coincidence. And I agree with all those points. He isn't an actor, he's a wrestler. Uh, it wasn't a particularly good film though, seeing as it was a bit confusing seeing as I haven't seen the first one. However, I just felt that we kind of turned up. He was mentioned a lot. But he wasn't in it that much, and when he was in it, it was a very disappointing performance. So I'd say he's the worst male actor of the year. Groovy. Okay, so our next category is Best Soundtrack. It's a shame that we can't do 2018 films, because Black Panther will be right up there. But otherwise, Ollie, go. 
My nomination for best soundtrack of 2017 is Star Wars The Last Jedi. Star Wars always has a great soundtrack, seeing as John Williams is the composer. And I think this year was no exception. I don't think you've actually seen this year's Star Wars yet. However, as always, it's got the, um, the famous and iconic theme tune, as well as loads of different uh, songs that are playing throughout the um, film, which give it a great atmosphere. My nomination for the best soundtrack is Sherlock, again. I do like this series, and I think the soundtrack really does add to it. The iconic theme at the start, whilst may not be as recognisable as Doctor Who or Star Wars, is re repeated on throughout the series, and I find the music was memorable, really enhanced the mood, and was very well composed. I would definitely consider buying this soundtrack, and probably will in the near future. Oh, got two seconds. Well, Pick, I'd agree with that as well. Um, what's next? Our next uh, category is one, one that's not a real Oscar, obviously, but it's the best bonus features on the DVD or Blu-ray release this year. So, what's your choice, Ben? Well, again, it's Sherlock. Oh. I really do like this series. The bonus features on the edition I have, which collects series one to four, for being broadcast in 2017, has the original pilot episodes and has the different behind the scenes features for each episode and really goes into detail. It's really good and I would strongly recommend you go and check them out as especially the pilot is very interesting. Three. My nomination for best bonus features is Sharda. Sharda was a, uh, a we've talked about Dirt Gently, it was kind of a, a um, episode that wasn't fully recorded to due to strikes and industrial action, so they had to animate parts of it in this 2017 re-release, and the bonus features have got tons of behind the scenes of both the original and the new cartoon, and you get to see kind of a perspective of how they did the new garden. The next award is Best Special Effects. What have you got for this bit? The Best Special Effects, I've put Logan. Whilst being quite minimal in places, the usage of them was very good, very realistic, and I think the fact that they didn't just pile it on, 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 and on, and on, and on, like most films do, really enhanced it when it did come on. I'm probably not making any valid points, but I really do hope you get the impression of how much I love Logan's special effects. That's pretty much all I've got to say, and I've got two seconds left. Yeah, okay. Right, and off we go. My pick for the best special effects of the year would have probably been Blade on the 2049, because that looks really good, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, so it's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I feel this film wasn't as strong as the first one, but it definitely had it had a lot of CGI, which obviously uh, often doesn't work, but I think it did work in this. And kind of the monsters and the different creatures in this were all heavily, which are, they all looked really good, and it was great special effects. Okay, so our next award, we're just about halfway through, is the weirdest moments of a film. And Ollie's gonna start us off now. 
my pick for the weirdest moment was Leia flying through space in Star Wars The Last Jedi. This was just completely not explained at all. It just suddenly, Leia was shot out and she was gonna die, but they thought, oh, let's save her because Carrie Fisher died and she's a strong character. But instead of actually writing something that made sense, she just started flying through space into the spaceship. I just thought this was weird and completely unnecessary. So what's your pick? My pick for the weirdest moment was again John Cena! But this time it was towards the end of Daddy's Home 2 where he starts crying. <laughs> the end of the film is that stereotypical, you know, everyone reunites, everyone's happy, and he starts crying with a tear in his eye. And this big macho man who's a wrestler who has had memes made about him, and he's just got a tear in his eye that's so obviously fake. He's a bad actor and this was not needed. Yeah, that was a, definitely a strange event. What is it? We just... uh, the next award is for the best moment of the year. This necessarily doesn't have to be in the best film, just the best overall moment that happened. So, what's your pick? Well, my pick for the best moment was the end of Logan, where Logan himself dies. And this was quite an emotional scene, it was carried out very well, and I think it really highlights Hugh Jackman's great acting and how suitable he is for playing Wolverine. And I think the, the emotion behind the scene was very good, it was carried out particularly well, and it was a great climax to a great film. Yeah, it was definitely very powerful that scene. My pick for the best moment of the year is the fight scene between Luke and Kylo Ren in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Now I'm not going to spoil it for you but there is a twist with Luke and this scene is just the climax of the whole film. It builds up to this and it's definitely a great finale. Um, it, it's interesting because of the twist and you get to find out that it's not actually the fight you were expecting. However, it's great to see Kylo Ren rage out and Luke do his tricks. It's quite hard to fit into 30 seconds, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is quite hard fitting it into 30 seconds, and I think the <laughs> that's kind of what does it, because yeah, we'll, we'll try not to edit it out. And, um, um, but so our next category is Best Character. And so, without further ado, Ollie, who's yours? My favourite character of the year is the Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming. I'd say he's one of the strongest villains in the MCU, uh, with people like the recent edition of Killmonger. And it's good because he's got a backstory about his family. He's not necessarily evil, he's just trying to protect his daughter. And it's interesting how Spider-Man has a relationship without knowing it with him, and they could actually be related if... Um, the relationship went further with his girlfriend, so I think this is a great character as well. So Ben, what's your pick for best character? Um, the best character I think was the original master as played by John Sim. Again, this was the best male performance as I chosen earlier, but John Sim really brought into the role and I did like John Sim's master the best, certainly better than Missy and better than quite a few classic masters, is very villainous without being overly stereotypical. He has some sarcastic humour and is a very good opponent to both David Tennant and Peter Capaldi. Good timing. 
Uh, the next category is worst character of the year, another funny one. Uh, so what's your pick, Ben? I think you know what I'm going to say. And his name is John Cena! Yeah, well, as I've previously said, unneeded character. Probably, it, you may, it may make more sense if you watch the first film, and I think I probably should have done that. But John Cena as a casting choice was really bad. The character was weak. The character was only introduced halfway through the film as well, so you didn't really know who he was. It was like, oh, it's Roger. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah, solid pick. The Tingo Sra. Right. My uh, pick is Steppenwolf from Justice League. Uh, it was it, it came in a decent film. Uh, it was very CGI heavy and forgettable villain. I think this is definitely one of the worst things about Justice League. And he's probably the most forgettable villain I've ever encountered in a film. Uh, that's probably why the DCEU isn't succeeding as much as Marvel, and he's just an awful villain. Indeed, good timing as always. Our next category is the best Netflix original. Now, bearing in mind, I personally haven't watched very many Netflix originals, I don't know about Ollie, but I guess we're going to find out now. Uh, you're not going to like this pick, Ben, but my pick is Stranger Things Series 2. I love the first series, and I probably wouldn't say this is as strong, but it's got great returning characters. It's nine episodes. Series Episode 7 is a bit weird with the backstory of Eleven, but I love the ending of Episode 8 when Eleven's revealed again with the demi-dog, and it's quite emotional seeing her and Mike again, and just the finale is very strong, and it's a lot bigger scale than the last series. I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> so Ben, what's your pick? My favourite Netflix original was the only one I saw really, and it was Star Trek Discovery. I thought this was a very good series, and it did deteriorate halfway through though, um, and it did have its bad points. However, it was a very good uh, continuation of the Star Trek universe, and its start was definitely the highlight for me. It was very interesting, and although it deteriorated, it was very watchable. Yeah, the next award is the best TV show of the year. Ben, off you go. I think the best TV show was Sherlock Season 4. I keep forgetting this was released in 2017, as it was the first few weeks. But, however, it was very good. Uh, a few episodes from a very good series uh, with impeccable performances for Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Obviously the great performance from uh, Mary, as I said earlier, and was carried out very well. Yeah, good pick. Now my pick is Series 10 of Doctor Who. Doctor Who, I can't really explain it, but it's definitely my favourite TV show ever. And this was, although it wasn't the strongest series ever, I'd definitely say it was one of my favourite Peter Capaldi ones. I mean, there's only been three. Uh, some episodes were great, there were some lows as well. Uh, but overall, I really enjoyed it. I think it was interesting seeing the Mommy trilogy and the, fin the finale two episodes. But overall, yeah, it was great, and I just loved Doctor Who. So, we're getting to the end of our long list, but next we have the worst films. 
So without further ado, Ollie, what's your worst film of 2017? It's been mentioned a lot already, my worst film is Daddy's Home 2. Now, I haven't really seen that many bad films this year, seen as I wouldn't really pick to go and see something that I'd know I'd hate. However, this, although not being the worst film I've ever seen, it just wasn't very good, was it? It, it was meant to be a comedy, and parts were funny, and it was fun. However, having not seen the... Having not seen the first one, it was confusing, and I didn't really get the storyline or the characters. Okay, and mine is also Daddy's Home 2. I'm really harsh on this film because I hated it. It was terrible, it was hard to follow, and most of all, John Cena's appalling performance wanted <laughs> that so much. Um, and it was, the family tree was hard to follow, that might be a, a joke that's easy to follow if you've seen the first film, but it was just so bad, I really hated it. In other words, I hate it. Yeah, very critical, a lot more than I was, but, um, so we both agree on that one, one of our first. Uh, our penultimate category is the best MCU film of the year. Obviously, Ben, what is your favourite MCU film of the year? My favourite MCU film of the year was not Thor Ragnarok. I thought that was a bit of a letdown, to be honest. It was Spider-Man Homecoming, which was very surprising because I hated the casting choice for Spider-Man in uh, the Avengers film from 2016. The It was very nerdy, it was very uh, annoying, but he brought his own to the role and was very easy to follow, enjoyable, well-carried-out film. Yeah, um, I'd agree that that was a great film. However, my pick is Thor Ragnarok. This is my favourite Thor film of the year, and I'd say it's the best. Oh no, no. this is my favourite Thor film, and I'd definitely say it's the best MCU film of the year, seeing as it incorporates comedy and the usual MCU. Now it might have been a bit too. Uh, my one of my criticisms is it might have been a bit too reliant on the jokes. However, I did think there was a lot of good action. I thought that uh, Hela was a good villain and I liked all the characters including Thor, Loki and Bagus. Okay, our last category is the best film which kind of sums up all of these features in one um, as a film. Without further ado, what was your favourite film from 2017? My favourite film I've already talked about a bit, it was Logan. Although th this seems like it came out ages ago, seeing as it was near the start of 2017, I think this is a great film because although it's X-Men and based on Marvel, I think it could still be an Oscar nomination because it was so well done, it covered storylines unlike any X-Men or Marvel films really, about his death and it was very dramatic and uh, overall I just loved this film. How about you, Ben? What was your favourite film of the year? Mine was also Logan. I think most of my points have been said. Very, very good film. Emotional scene at the end. Great acting from Hugh Jackman. Um, and I think I missed its initial release. I, I actually saw it on DVD at Ollie's. Um, and yeah, I'm going to do a groovy dance for the next 10 seconds because all my points have been said. Finally, we've, we've done. So, I hope you enjoyed our award show, Entertainment Worthy of Excellence. If you 
did, then please let us know and hopefully this will be recurring next year. Our last segment is a new one. It's behind the screen. It's basically where we get questions from our listeners. So if you want to get in touch, like we said on the start of the show, either email us or use Twitter to ask us the questions and we'll definitely answer them uh, in the next few episodes. We've got three questions this week, so let's have a look how we'd answer them. I mean, three of them are kind of linked. As it's the first time we've done this, we've literally just asked the families. Yeah, so the Um, first one comes from my brother. And it was, how did you get into Marvel? Good question. I mean, we did this topic in the last year of primary school where we did about superheroes and I can't remember what the point of it actually was. <laughs> and I think it was around that time it was my 11th birthday. Yeah. And what films were on the cinema? Oh, look, it's Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Well, we're doing about superheroes, why do we watch it? And... I watched that and was instantly hooked. I obviously then went back to Iron Man and started watching it uh, sequentially because there was a leaflet that had all the things in order. Yeah, mine's pretty similar. I mean, I've never read any comics, just like Ben. Uh, So I was never really that obsessed with superheroes before. And I also went to his primary school, so I did that topic. But even then, that didn't really interest me that much because when I look back at it now... Our teacher was a bit clueless. Mm. I don't think she actually knew. Well, she definitely didn't know as much as we do now about superheroes and stuff. I'd say it's probably my favourite film franchise now. However, although I've never read any of the comics, I'd definitely say this helped me um, become interested. I can't recall exactly what got me so hooked. I've never been that excited about DC and stuff, even though they've got the big characters in Batman and Superman. Okay, the next question's a bit controversial. It's, do you prefer watching at home or at the cinema, at home on DVD or at the cinema on the big screen? Um, well, I'd say the cinema is definitely a really good atmosphere. Uh, however, I do have this downfall. Of, I want to see all the films at the cinema, and then I also want them on DVD, so by the end of it, I'm ending up spending about 20 quid on each film, especially kind of Marvel ones that I see. I've recently got a new TV and surround sound, so it definitely adds to the atmosphere. But I'd probably say watching at the cinema is still better, seeing as you usually go with people and there's loads of people there and it's the atmosphere, there's the speakers, and especially in something like IMAX, it just, the quality's amazing. I think, personally, I would prefer watching at home, but with a Blu-ray and surround sound, which sadly enough I don't have. My my own house, if I did have surround sound like you do at the cinema, that would be great. And I suppose the next question kind of ties into that. Well, the next two kind of tie into this big discussion, really. It's The next one is, is IMAX all it's cracked up to be? Mm. Personally, I have quite a bit to say on this matter. Yeah, it's interesting. IMAX itself, there are certain specifications for an IMAX screen and the problem that a lot of cinemas do have is they don't actually obey those specifications and instead pay for the branding IMAX so the screen may not be as large as an IMAX is meant to be. There is obviously 3D IMAX I always think 3D is 
the best way to see a film. And the last question is related to that topic again. Which do you prefer, DVD, Blu-ray, VHS, etc.? Now, I'm not really sure about these. Do you know kind of the difference between DVD and Blu-ray? Yes. I'm not an expert at that. It's all about the storage quantity. So DVDs can hold, I think it's 4.7 gigabytes of storage. Right. So that's usually equates to about two hours, 120 minutes of 1080p film. Obviously, you can fit more in special features if you compress it a bit more. Now, Blu-ray has, I think it's up to 30 gigabytes of storage, which obviously gives a lot more room for much more sharp detail. So the video isn't as compressed. Yeah. You get much sharper detail. You can go into 4K on Blu-ray easy. One that was really great, and I'd I'd definitely recommend you get is the Blade Runner one. Yeah, the newest. The newest, yeah, that that was remastered very well. Crystal clear vision and great sound quality. Yeah. So, all in all, I think the one thing that makes DVDs better is their affordability. Yeah, they're usually £10 new and then Blu-rays are an extra £5. Mm. Okay, so, again, it was a special episode. Um... I don't think it was my favourite so far, but it was very interesting. What do yeah. you think? I like doing the awards. I think that was a very unique thing. Uh, obviously, we didn't have tons to say about Psychophil, and we didn't do any quizzes or reviews. But but yeah, I enjoyed it. I really like doing those award shows, Entertainment Worthy of Excellence. And I think if this podcast is still going in the year's time, we can definitely have that again, inspired by the Oscars. Thank you very much for listening. A quick announcement, we are going to be deleting our SoundCloud account, boohoo, so you can't find us there anymore. However, you can listen to our episodes on the many sites listed on our website, which is entertainmentofexcellence.wordpress.com. You can also follow our Twitter, which is at EOVpodcast, mine, which is at RIPDavidBear, or mine, which is at Skilldozer123. Thank you very much for listening, and tune in for the next episode of Entertainment of Excellence. A podcast review films, TV, anything. Thanks for listening. Oh, see you. Oh, see you.